0: Right. I think it's fair to say that uh, we know that God is promising to be with us when we gather together like this. And before we turn to his word, let's just bow our heads in a short word of prayer. It is our prayer, dear Lord, that you would indeed send forth your light and your truth. We need that light from above that we might be enabled to understand and put into practice what your word is telling us to do. And we pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, open our senses to receive you and to use these senses to your glory in all uh, the aspects of our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know how many young folks are here, but I'm going to start with three questions uh, at the outset. Uh, They're fairly simple. Let me ask the first question. What can happen if you eat or drink food that is well past its sell-by date, or it's been out of the fridge, perhaps, for a few days? I'm sure you've got the answer to that, young ones. Here's another question, what can happen, and very sadly does happen uh, in some countries of the world when contaminated water is drunk? I'm sure you know the answer to that question as well. It can happen even with ourselves in our own country. And also, perhaps a bit more close to home, what can happen when our diet is out of balance? What ha- happens when we eat or drink too much of the wrong type of food? For example, if we, we, if we visit KFC or McDonald's too often for our good. Well, by way of introduction to uh, the, the, the letter, to the, the, the chapter in Colossians that I've got tonight, uh, I think, we, as I said, we all know the answer to. Uh, the questions I've just asked—that there is a high risk of uh, acute sickness, or poisoning at best, and ill health—usually results when these practices are uh, carried out. At worst, they can lead to our demise. That—that that is very tragic, isn't it? Well, I think the same thing can happen to us today in a in a spiritual sense. I think this was true in Paul's uh, day when he in Colossae although he was writing this letter from a Roman prison uh, the same thing was happening to them and i think this is why Paul wrote his letter uh, to the believers at Colossae uh, he was distant from the, the folks in Colossae but he had his own he had links with that church through certain people. This letter tells us of characters like Epaphras in the first chapter, and in chapter four, Tychicus and Onesimus. Bad spiritual food for the mind uh, was on the menu for those believers at Colossae, and they, they were in danger of being affected by it if they ingested it speaking in a metaphorical sense. And this would be to the detriment of their walk with the Lord. And sadly, that's exactly what was going on. The poisonous food was served by false teachers of what we might call a twisted gospel. So Paul was basically sending messages of caution and Danger to the Colossian believers. It's as though uh, there were lots of flashing amber lights or even red lights uh, on show in his letter. And uh, this was uh, to their potential danger, as it can be for ourselves nowadays, depending on what we hear and what ideas uh, we give our ears to. There, is, uh, it, there was, in the Colossian uh, environment, what we call uh, syncretism. It's a, a mixture of other beliefs and philosophies and ideas. They were being pro- propagated uh, as alternatives to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the absolute truth of this gospel of the Lord. And also, uh, they were contradicting the absolute and exclusive supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of this is uh, uh, mentioned for us in the earlier chapters, particularly chapter 1 of this letter, where Paul says in verse 18 that in all things he might have be preeminent, that in all things He might have the preeminence. Verse 18 He is the head of the body, the church, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. So Jesus is what is at the foremost of Paul's, uh, uh, at the foreground of Paul's message to the Colossians. Uh, Commentators uh, refer to what is known as the Colossian heresy. But it's not very obvious what that might have been explicitly spelled out in these foregoing chapters in, in the letter. But there are hints to it. Uh, they're not explicitly spelled out. But on further analysis, we can see that uh, there are at least two false doctrines being propagated amongst others, perhaps. And these two were judaism And what is called Gnosticism. Judaism, uh, as you know, is a ritualistic observance of former practices uh, in the Old Testament by the covenant people of God, which now have been uh, abolished because the Lord Jesus Christ has come and fulfilled them all. But there were people who were propagating that kind uh, of belief. If you look at chapter 2 and verse 11, we find there some uh, reference, in him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh. Now, there were people who were using, still using circumcision, but Paul wants to use it as a metaphor for a circumcision of the heart, which really was far more important than the circumcision practiced in Judaism. And there was uh, Gnosticism. I like uh, how J.B. Lightfoot uh, uh, defines the idea of Gnosticism. And, uh, he writes, we are confronted with a shadowy mysticism which loses itself in the contemplation of the unseen world. We discover a tendency to impose certain spiritual agencies— Uh, uh, intermediate beings between God and man as the instruments of communication and the objects of worship. Again, going back to chapter 2 and verse 8, look at what what Paul says there, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elements of the world and not according to Christ. And further on in verse 18, he says to the Colossians, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. So there was an emphasis on mystical visions and things like that, and also uh, praying to others other beings uh, as uh, alternative intercessors between god and man and we read clearly in scripture that there is but one uh, intercessor there is only one mediator between god and man and that is the lord jesus christ there are other uh, verses that make reference to this kind of belief as well and this is what these believers were up against. There was a legalism that they were uh, being tempted to put into practice, and there was also elevated. There were these elevated mystical notions of a way of salvation. Now, there are just one or two things. This chapter is full of rich Christian teaching. The Christology of the letter of Paul to the Colossians is super rich. It is, this is what we find. In the first part of the letter, he's talking about uh, what, who Jesus is, his supremacy, and what he has done, and what's happened to them through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, in the latter part of the letter, there is a more practical application. And that is why, at the beginning of chapter 3, we see If then, if in the light of what Jesus has done for you and who he is, seek the things that are above. Now, I'd like to look at one or two things there, and I want to focus on the idea of clothing because that is the idea that is brought out by Paul in this letter in trying to explain to them how their lives should be now being transformed, if not transformed to some degree already. First thing I want to talk about is the shedding of dirty clothes for Christ. Now, that is uh, highlighted for us uh, at the beginning of this, in this section of chapter 3 of Colossians that we read. And verse 1, I think, puts it all, uh, crystallizes it for us. So then, says Paul, since you are risen with Christ, Having left a former way of living, understand that your life values originate and come from above. So set your minds where these have their origin. It's not as though he's trying to tell them to think in a mystical way at all, which other false teachers were trying to do. Their focus was to be on him who is now risen, who was dead and who is risen from the dead. So, he's telling them, understand your life values originate in heaven and that they come from above. What James refers to in his letter as the wisdom that comes from above. So, these things have their origin from above for you. Understand that that is where the foundations of your life come from and not from the scene of time and of sense, not from human ideologies and human intelligence in itself. When Paul was writing to the Corinthians uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, perhaps he brings something of that to our attention when he's encouraging the Corinthians to continue in their own lives as Christians. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. And he says, for the things that are seen are transient. They pass away with the using. But the things... That are unseen are eternal. They last. They have lasting virtue. And it just reminds them that they have left a former earthly, worldly way of living behind if they are risen with Christ, have been raised. Notice it's a it's a passive uh, tense that is used there. They didn't do that of themselves at all. They have been raised, they were lifted up. From darkness to light, and that is what Paul says in the earlier part of his letter to the Colossians, uh, where they have been uh, transferred from the kingdom of darkness—that is, where the devil and the powers of darkness have their influence—and he has been, they have been brought, uh, translated, if you like, into the kingdom of. His dear son, the dear son of God. So you've left a former worldly way of living behind. And he therefore says to them, so in that case, if then as a result of your profession that you have been risen with Christ and the reality of it, what do you do? Get rid of the outward practices which are in effect idolatry. This is what verse 5 tells us put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he goes on to list one or two things in that verse, and he describes them as idolatry. Now, the main type of idolatry, I think, that we as sinful people have is worship of ourselves. So, there is an implication of selfishness and self-interest and self-gratification that comes through in what Paul says, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. And these, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, and so on. There are further things mentioned uh, later on in verse 8, uh, and even earlier than that. In, in verse 8 he says, but now you must put them all away. We'll come to that in a minute. Paul lists what I refer to as these dirty clothes graphically uh, in these verses of chapter 3. And this has a similarity to what we heard from the letter to the Galatians from Will a few weeks ago, uh, speaking of the works of the flesh in contrast to the fruit of the Spirit. They're dirty clothes, and every meaningful, purposeful Christian ought to strive to shed them, to be divested of them. And what's required basically is a wardrobe contents clearance. I think we've we've all done that from time to time when clothes that don't suit us anymore, perhaps we've either grown too large or too small for them, so the clothes have to be chucked out. They're not suitable for us. And that's what Paul is effectively telling the Colossians here, that the dirty clothes of sin, they're not suitable for who you are now at all. You know, it brings to mind uh, words of a song that uh, came to my attention a good few years ago, and perhaps recently as well, a song by a country singer called Chris Christofferson. Maybe I'm giving away my age. Uh, the song was uh, made famous by Johnny Cash back in the day as well. And uh, the song is called Sunday Morning Coming Down. And it, it speaks of somebody who's just uh, waking up on a Sunday morning with a hangover and everything is lost and he's trying his best to do what he can in the situation that he's in. But he's not being very successful. And one of, the, one of the verses goes like this. Then I fumbled through my closet for my clothes and found my cleanest dirty shirt. You know, sometimes that, that's what we as Christians are tempted to do and think that our cleanest dirty shirt in a spiritual way is good enough, and it's not. Our cleanest dirty shirt is just not acceptable as Christians to the Lord. And we try to sometimes present ourselves to the Lord in our lives with shortcomings that need to be cleansed and done away with. The Word of God reminds us that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before God, soiled, stained, And there is always original sin rearing its ugly head and bringing things up in our lives that are not honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ. All our righteousnesses, even our cleanest dirty shirt, whoever you are, your cleanest dirty shirt is not good enough for the Lord at a spiritual level. And it is for that reason that Paul... Uh, has this imperative uh, to put to death, therefore. It's uh, something that needs to go on and on. And perhaps we can uh, define it as our sanctification. We have to do something ourselves in order to, to promote our sanctification. We are not totally passive in it. That wouldn't appear to be the case here. You, he says to the Colossians, you are to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death. You must put them all away, seeing you have put off the old self, seeing you have been raised with Christ. In verse 9, he reminds them again there, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off (coughs) the old self, with its practices, and I put on the new self. Our benchmark for our lives is not focused on the practices of a Christless life anymore. It must be focused on our lives with Christ at the very center. Now, that's a tall standard for us to follow. But these dirty old clothes are unsuitable for you says Paul to the Colossians, and clash with the character of the person of the Savior whom you profess to love and to follow. I like the words that uh, Will used in his prayer uh, earlier on. I can't remember who the author of them was. Will follow, Jesus, follow you more nearly, seek you more dearly, See you more clearly. I can't remember. Somebody else may be able to tell me who the who the the author of these words was. But that's basically what Paul is trying to uh, get home to the Lord, to the Colossians in bringing to them what the Lord is like and what they should be like as well. It's, it's a high bar. It's not. Uh, It's not a doctrine of perfectionism, but it's a doctrine of aspiration towards perfectionism as much as we can in this world. And are we not hearing this for ourselves in our day? The standards of society in which we live are pretty bad. We only have to look as far as politics to see that things aren't the way they ought to be unsuitable clothes, unattractive clothes are not honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And neither are they honoring to the household of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not honoring to those who are brothers and sisters together when a brother or sister or a group tends to go away from the way the Lord wants us to live. So we are hearing this for ourselves in the day in which we live. And it's quite amazing how it would appear that perhaps some of these things was actually ongoing at Colossae amongst these Christian believers from time to time. If what uh, Epaphras and uh, Onesimus uh, were reporting from Colossae. Things like, for example, uh, what's brought out uh, in uh, which verse is it, <clears throat> verse 8 again the first two things just the first two things as examples, anger and wrath anger, This I think anger is more of an attitude a selfish attitude usually than it is an action the word wrath is anger, I believe, expressed in action. And usually we can just uh, translate the word wrath as rage. And uh, there are other words that are perhaps uh, euphemistically used to describe that for us in our modern day society, uh, like incandescent. It's very graphic, but uh, the word rage and fury, I think, tell us something about this wrath. And it's all in the interests of self, usually, that we do. I want my own way. We talk about road rage behind the wheel of a car. What happens there? Quite a lot of uh, sad, sad things can happen as a result of road rage. And then there are various other things, dark things, if you like, uh, mentioned in verse 8 of this chapter. There's uh, just a, a quick read through version. here: anger, malice wrath, malice, slander just pause for a second I think we're all guilty of that to some extent and it is not acceptable gossip in a Christian fellowship you might ask well it, it seems to have happened at Colossae and it can and pos- it probably does happen amongst us as well And what that does is it eats away the the solidity of the fellowship that we have together in the Lord between one another, and it can also be a very bad witness to the church around us. So what's the alternative? What is Paul exhorting the Colossians to do? Well, he's, he's telling them to put off the dirty clothes, shed your dirty clothes for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's secondly asking them to be suited like the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 9 of this chapter, he says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self, in view of the fact that you you have been made a new creation in Christ. So new creations must display newness in their character. You have, you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This is a progressive thing that God has done. As Paul, writing to the Philippians, reminds us, where God has begun the good work in you, He will continue it and bring it to perfection in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we come to verse 12, this is really the nitty-gritty of it. But before we come to to, to that, verse 10 says, uh, "...have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of His Creator." You know, in the natural world, there are certain creatures that seem to shed a shell and a new shell. Develops in its place. Perhaps it's not the most uh, suitable of metaphors to use, but that's the way snakes are, isn't it? Uh, Nobody wants to be a snake. But snakes shed skin and they put on a new skin. And I remember from my young day remembering crabs doing the same. Shellfish. A crab puts off its shell and a new shell is developed in its place. In verse 11, it's interesting what Paul says here. Here there is no Greek or Jew, not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, scythian, slave, free, but all is all. Uh, But Christ is all and in all. And this shows that this uh, change can happen to anybody. Nobody is beyond the pale as far as this change is possible. And these... uh, characters that these uh, uh, people, different uh, characters that Paul is, he's showing us a a list of extremities if you like. Uh, I'm sorry for the Greeks present, but I'm, I'm sure you won't feel offended if Paul is mentioning you in this passage. But at that time, what Paul was trying to tell him, it doesn't matter about your background. It doesn't matter about what religion you are perhaps presently practicing. It doesn't matter what rituals you have gone through in whatever religion you have been practicing, if you have gone through any rituals at all. Rituals aren't necessary. That's what he's saying, circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarian and Scythian. Now, I want to dwell on these two. Why does he bring these things up? Because he's trying to bring to our attention how bad sinful people can descend to. And he mentions that Scythians and barbarians can be influenced by the Spirit of God and by the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how bad you may think you are. It doesn't matter how bad others may think you are. Even Paul himself categorized himself as the chief. Of sinners. In other words, he was saying, there should nobody as bad as me. And perhaps it's not hard, uh, bad for each one of us to see ourselves in the need of Christ's salvation in such terms. Otherwise, we become puffed up and say, No, I'm not as bad as he, he is. I'm not doing what she's doing. We so often fall into that trap. Now, barbarians were rough and wild, brutal, coarse, cruel. <laughs> every other uh, qualification you can borrow in, these, in the sense of, of these words. And apparently the Scythians, if I'm pronouncing that word rightly, uh, they were similar, but perhaps even a degree worse. They were nomads, apparently. And this is an interesting note uh, I discovered when I was preparing this. The nomads who had their origins north of the Black Sea Present day Ukraine. But they were nomads who had their origins there, and one of their most characteristic rites was worship of the naked sword. Uh, One commentator, to sum them up, he just describes them as war was their chief business. And you know, that sounds to me like our enemy, the devil. War against Christ is his chief business. And anything that is not of Christ comes from that source of fighting against what is good and beneficial and eternal. So he says in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones. Here we come to the daylight. I'm sorry if everything I've said so far has been sounding a bit morbid and dark, but we're coming down, as it were, coming round, as it were, to the bright side of the moon. And here is the light now. Be suited like Christ. Be suited. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones. And again, it's a continuous present in its tense. Keep putting on. As Peter says, grow in grace. Or is it uh, Peter uh, talking to uh, his uh, readers when he said, uh, remember that you have been uh, turned from the error of your ways. And he says that uh, we have been brought out of darkness into his, His marvelous light. And the reason for doing that, says Peter, is, that we may show forth the praises of him who has called us from that death into that beautiful light. Put on then as God's, notice, God's chosen ones. There's an allusion there to God having begun this work of salvation in their lives. Chosen from before the foundation of the world with electing love to be sanctified. And that's what he says, uh, Following these words, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, they have effectively been sanctified already to some extent, even in their conversion, what John Murray called uh, definitive sanctification. I'm not going into that just now. Apologies for for that dropping off from time to time. Uh, John Murray was speaking about a sanctification that took place at the moment of faith, but then that sanctification is progressive, and that is what Paul, I think, is talking about there, to keep putting on this holy and beloved. As God's God's chosen ones, they're set apart, and they are also loved from above, as a father loves his children be suited like Jesus with the material that is woven by Jesus. You know, what uh, we as Christians are to do is to wear, as it were, suitable garments visible to others around us. As I said earlier, uh, with reference to, to witnessing to our brothers and sisters, I think that's our primary duty so that we can encourage one another in our growth in grace. So our responsibility is to the family, and then to the world around us. It's like uh, putting on a uniform, putting on team colours. Which team are you in tonight? I ask you, and I ask myself: Is the outfit you're wearing in your life appropriate? for the primary function of, uh, in the life of the wearer. we might ask, what exactly is my primary function in life? And that goes to each and every one of us. Well, we only have to go as far as the first question in our Westminster Shorter Catechism to tell us that, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. In other words, as Paul, say, uh, Paul says to the Corinthians in this passage, at the end of verse, of verse 11, Christ is all and in all. Again, a high bar. But that is what we have to aspire to. To believe in Jesus in the first instance and be saved. To live a life which shows a change has taken place in the innermost being. And that the clothes I wear now reflects that very truth, and how often, sadly, it does not. And I speak for myself in that respect as well. In in verse 12, we have a list of all these things coming through, and then this is uh, in comparison to the fruit of the Spirit listed for us uh, by Paul in Galatians and by Peter in his second letter, the first chapter. I just want to run through these. Uh, I'm not going into them in any great depth, but I want us to be reminded of them and ask ourselves. I'm thinking of the mirror that uh, Will had last week for the kids in the morning. Look into the mirror of these words and see how we look like. Compassionate hearts. Kindness. Humility. Meekness or gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You know, we cannot put any of these in practice unless we have taken clothes out of Jesus' wardrobe and put them on, as he says at the beginning of verse 12. Put on then Jesus' clothes. You see, the Colossian Christians, as all Christians, are given the, the robe of Christ's righteousness, which is multicolored, multifaceted, and ought to be shown in the various ways that we can behave in our lives in a positive way. There is, of course, the common grace of God, and that's at work in the hearts and lives of everybody. But saving grace is a step much, much higher than common grace because our hearts are opened, our minds are transformed, and our affections are drawn to the one who has loved us and who gave himself for us. Without going into these ones, uh, these uh, qualities, if you like, in detail, I just want to finish by mentioning forgiveness and supremely love. Verse 14. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And this points us to the Lord Jesus Christ Christ. If we are to put on love, we have to ask ourselves, what kind of love is this love that is being mentioned? It is nothing short of agape, that love which has saved us, that love which made Christ give himself without spot or blemish as a ransom for our sins. Above all, says Paul, put on love which binds everything together, And that goes for us as a fellowship of God's people here. If we are to be effective witnesses to the Lord, the the world uh, has to see us as was referred to in Scripture by, I think it was Paul when he said we ought to be like living epistles, living letters known and read by all men. And how far short you and I come from being that in our day. We need the power of the Spirit in order to fuel this fire of Christ-likeness in our lives. And he says, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, perfect harmony, you might think that it, this is a, another aspect of perfectionism that is being looked for. We have to aspire to it. And that is the purpose for which we have been created, to reach an intended end purpose, and that is to be like Him who saved us. Because, as John writes, when we shall see Him, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. That is what enables us to see Christ as He is. We see through our glass darkly just now because of all the blurredness that sin has brought into our lives so that now, as Christians, there ought to be no inconsistency in the visible life of the follower, Christ, a follower of Christ. But sadly, uh, there is to our shame. So, in conclusion, all I want to say is this. Are we still wearing dirty old clothes? Or are our clothes being renewed day by day, week by week, as we walk closely to our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is for anyone who is willing to come to him to receive this spirit-giving power in order to have our affections taken away from the things of the world and set on the things that are above, as Paul says, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, interceding for you and for me if you are a believer. May God bless to us these meditations on His Word. Let's just pray for a minute, bow our heads. Lord, we acknowledge our failure in meeting uh, what you ask of us, but we thank you that we can come to you with sincerity, confessing our shortcomings, and believing that you are able to do for us above and beyond what we can ask or imagine. So bless your word to us, Take what is yours, Lord, and apply it to our lives that we might become more like him who loved us and gave himself for us. We ask in his name. Amen. We conclude with praise, uh, singing the hymn, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me. A sinner condemned, unclean. Let's stand to sing. Please remain standing for the benediction afterwards.